Thank you for connecting to the Bethany Chapel Sermon Link. Our prayer is that you will find the following sermon helpful and inspiring for your spiritual journey. If you are a visitor to this resource, or if you've not attended our church, we would love to meet you in person. Our vision at Bethany Chapel is opening doors to God's truth and love. God bless you as you listen. Well, good morning, church. Uh, If you don't know, my name is Brendan Dick. I'm the pastor of ministries here at Bethany Chapel, and I am excited that it's New Year's because that means it's time for a new New Year's resolution in my life, a New Year's resolution that I will probably give up on in about four or five days, but I can feel good about it for about four to five days, all right? So don't take that away from me. I'm really excited about it. Who here has already maybe signed up for a New Year's resolution? Anyone brave enough to put their hand up and say, you have a New Year's resolution picked out? Nobody. You're all much wiser than I am, apparently. New Year's is a great time for resolutions. It's a popular thing, right, for for us to pick something out to start the year off, right? New Year's typically starts with a new promise, a new commitment to better ourselves, to better our job, to better our family, or attend to something left unaccomplished in our life. Would it surprise any of you, and the answer is probably going to be no because you all didn't raise your hands, that roughly 91% of adults in North America who have a New Year's resolution fail to meet that resolution? 91%, that's a staggering amount. I'm no mathematician, that's why I went to pastoral ministry, but that would would seem to indicate that only 9% of adults follow through on their New Year's resolutions, all right? This might come as a surprise to you, but I have followed through on one New Year's resolution in my life. Only one that I can count, which is why I say I give it about four or five days, all right? How many of you remember, probably about five, 10 years ago, all those Spartan races or mud runs got really, really popular, right? I thought to myself, as I'm recovering from a motor vehicle accident, that looks like fun. Let's do that. Well, I did it, and it took a lot of work. It was a New Year's resolution of mine, and lovingly enough, my sister, who is a much better athlete than I am, she decided to join me, and so I have a picture of that. The two of us went to the Spartan race right there. That's my sister on the left, my little niece, who's much larger now, in the middle, and me on the right. You notice before the race, I'm smiling. I'm really enjoying life at this moment. All the work and months of going to the gym, doing cardio for the sake of cardio, it's all paid off because now I'm here, all right? After the race, I'm still smiling. I just want to point that out, all right? I'm still smiling. However, I'm caked in mud, all right? And I wouldn't say it was as enjoyable experience, and that smile is more relief than joy, all right? But for me, this was a New Year's resolution. It was all about setting a goal, setting a specific goal, a goal that I could actually pursue, that I wanted to pursue, something that I was passionate about. And in order to accomplish that goal, there was a a couple things that I had to do. I had to get a support system. I had to set smaller goals in order to achieve larger goals. I needed to make sure that I followed through on it. And something that that struck me 
as I was, was going through this week and, and writing this message, is that setting New Year's goals tends to borrow heavily from the instructions that we actually find in our scriptures. As we begin the new year, I actually want to take a look at that. And so I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, and we're going to read verses 1 to 16. It'll be on the screen in front of me. It says, let the love of brothers and sisters continue. Do not neglect hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and those who are badly treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undelified, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever abandon you. So that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their way of life, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be misled by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, though which those of you who are so occupied were not benefited. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood. So then, let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Through him... Let's continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips praising his name. And do not neglect doing so and sharing, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So what does this passage from Hebrews have to do with New Year's resolutions? Well, like I said, I think they share a lot of similarities. And Paul, as he finishes writing the book of Hebrews, he's pointing out the importance of a faith that functions for the good of others and is common uh, in Paul's writings, he's encouraging his readers through final instructions about how to go about accomplishing the tasks that he sets before them. Paul is writing in the book of Hebrews to the Jews. He's addressing both traditional Jewish believers and Jewish Christian converts. It's very likely that Gentiles would have read the book of Hebrews, but it was not directly written to them. There is, however, some notion that it is being addressed to those in Rome. If you read on further in the book, verse 24 mentions those who come from Italy. So there's some common understanding that it was being addressed to those in Rome. And the closing chapter, chapter 13, the closing chapter of this epistle is made up almost entirely of exhortations, encouragements, and challenges, all dealing with the performance of various practical duties. It points to the following, brotherly love in verses 1, hospitality in verse 2, sympathy for those in bondage in verse 3, marriage fidelity in verse 4, contentment in verses 5 and 6, 
submission to authority in verses 7 and 8, then the stability of doctrine in verses 9 through 15, and benevolence in verse 16. If you read on in the chapter, Paul continues discussing obedience to those trusted in official positions in verse 17, and he closes with a beautiful benediction to close out the letter and the book itself. But this list, the list in chapter 13 is critical because if we are to understand the writer's intention, and we believe Paul was the writer, this list not only assists us in bringing glory to Christ, but it also helps assist your brothers and sisters bring glory to Christ. Because our obedience serves to assist others in their obedience, in the same way that our disobedience allows others to follow that example as well. To have any chance of me making that Spartan race and finishing, I had to be obedient to the task set before me. And one of the major things that helped me accomplish that was I had a group of friends that encouraged me to go to the gym. And they dragged me there most times. Because I didn't go willingly half the time. But our obedience leads our brothers and sisters in Christ to obedience themselves. And when we are disobedient to Christ, we set that example equally so. We have a need to see that our behavior and our actions have an effect on those around us. And Paul knew this. I think one of the greatest lies that Satan sells us in the world today is that we are of our own making, right? We are of our, 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 our actions, our consequences, our choices. They only affect us. And Paul, in this book, in this last chapter in Hebrews, he wants us to see how all the truths that are found within the letter manifest within our lives. Paul is attempting to persuade those of Jewish tradition to recognize that worship in Christ must happen 24-7. In essence, it is a lifestyle that exudes worship rather than a limited time and place for worship to occur. Because in the Jewish tradition of that day, worship was relegated to a day of the week. It was relegated to the temple or the synagogues. And very little worship occurred outside of those practices. The letter of the law and the legalism that entrenched itself in Judaism prevented worship from being a lifestyle that was adopted. And in my experience, this is something that we as a church in modern culture struggle with as well. So with this teaching in mind from Paul, and with New Year's resolutions front and center, I want to look at what we can take away from, from this chapter and apply to our worship of Christ. I've titled today's message, New Year, Same Jesus, because I think that that speaks to an unequivocal sense of who Christ is. It is 2023, but the Christ of 2022 is the same today as he was yesterday. And so these things that we take from Scripture apply just the same. The first thing that I think we can take from this, the first four verses, love and serve. Those are our instructions. We are to love and serve our fellow church members. We're supposed to love and serve strangers. We're supposed to love and serve our, our wives, our husbands, our boyfriends, our girlfriends, our friends, and even, yes, our coworkers. We're supposed to love them and serve them. Step one in presenting a Christ-acceptable worship is to serve others. If the Lord is to be glorified by the evidence of our life, it has to include service to those around us. 
I have visited many churches, many, many churches, both pastorally and in a visiting capacity. And of all the churches I enter, the majority of them continually have those friendly, smiling faces when you enter the door. Those friendly individuals to show you to your seat and wish you a happy Sunday. But once the service has ended and the congregation has been dismissed, many of those faces, many of those smiling faces, turn to a frustrated with the sermon frown or returning to whatever argument was in the car on the way to church that Sunday morning. And I don't share this as an admonishment at Bethany. I have spoken lovingly to my wife about how gracious you as a congregation are. We have been so welcomed in our attending Bethany. I have attended very few churches that I feel grace and and service is so ingrained in the culture. And for me as a pastor, that is such an encouragement for what God can do here. But the reality is, in the majority of churches in North America, I think we struggle with love and service. We're really good between the hours of 10.30 and 12 on Sunday morning, but not outside of that. To, love, to both love and serve as Christ and the apostles make clear within Scripture, it's not contingent upon anything. Our love and service is supposed to be sacrificial in nature. It has no conditions that need to be met for them to occur. Only that is provided to those within the church and those outside the church. And again, I'm no mathematician, but that would seem to indicate everybody. In today's culture, I would even argue that the best way to show love to those outside the church would be to start by loving those inside the church. A church that, is, that shows unity, a church that shows mutual love, admiration, and support for one another, a church that is striving to accomplish those most basic, important acts of service is a church that is going to appeal to those outside our four walls. In a time, in an age where churches are constantly at war with one another, where the Christian church can't seem to get on the same page with itself, I think there is a call for love and service to begin inside the church and exude out from that place. I think this type of love and service, the one that Paul is talking about in this passage, it has an important quality to it because it's not rooted in our own limitations Because it shows that salvation is real. Shows that Christ is real. If reading this passage of scripture and hearing me talk about loving everyone inside the church and everyone outside the church, if you hear that and you think to yourself, oh my goodness, that is impossible. How on earth do you want me to accomplish that? Good. You should feel that way. Because it is an insurmountable task that Christ has given us. Because loving those inside the church and outside the church is not done from within our capacity, but it comes from Christ. Loving all of those individuals that we encounter should come from God, not from our own intentions, desires, or ability. So that type of love and service, it supersedes human capacity. And that is the type of love and service that we should seek. The second thing that we can learn from this passage of Scripture is to be content. And I'll be honest, one of my greatest struggles in serving the Lord has always surrounded money. I was very fascinated with pastoral ministry growing up. I was very involved in Christian ministry, but I quickly found out in college that I could make a lot more money working outside the church. 
I always thought that pastors were paid exceptionally well. There's a couple chuckles there, that's good. I quickly found, however, that managing clothing stores and managing multi-million dollar businesses provided access to anything I wanted to consume. Being handed a bonus check of $10,000 is something I'll never forget because it was the most money that I had ever seen handed to me at any given moment. And money very quickly took root in my heart as my main motivator because money gave me the things that I wanted, not the things that I needed. And if we want to serve the Lord and if we want to serve others, we cannot be consumed by money. In and of itself, there's nothing wrong with wealth. I know many incredible Christians that have been blessed with wealth, and equally so, I know many incredible Christians that have not been blessed with wealth. Money is not the issue. But for those individuals like myself that wrestle with serving two masters, we need to reconcile Matthew 6.24 and understand that we cannot serve money and God. And after all, we do find security in money. It provides us security. Inflation has made life difficult for millions of people these past couple years. And so often we imagine to ourselves that if our savings account only had one more zero attached to it, then it'd be okay. We would worry less. We'd be more content. And during a Christmas season where I'm sure the majority of our debit cards and credit cards got a little worn out, the question then becomes, what's left? What is left to love and serve others? What's left to support the church? What is left to give to God and be faithful in that giving, not in in expectation of any return? In this passage, Paul is telling us to be content with what we have, not to allow money to govern our decision-making, but rather allow God to govern the decision-making, and that might require some sacrifices to love and serve others, to accomplish the instructions that Paul provides, it's going to mean that we have to give up something we want to provide something that God wants. Some of the best instructions that I've ever received from a pastoral mentor of mine was this. After him and I sat down and I was chatting with him with my struggle of money, he said, if God God has given you a home, then be content. If you have a car to drive, be content. If you have clothes to wear, food to eat, be content. And if you have none of that, be content. Pursue a better life, absolutely. I don't think there's anything wrong with pursuing a better life, but pursue God more. And that's something that I think as we enter 2023, we can ask ourselves, are we pursuing God more or are we pursuing wealth? And verses 5 to 6, they have another aspect to them as well. Because when we're not content with what God has provided, what we are in essence saying is that we're not content with God. He hasn't held up his end of the bargain. Paul talks about this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 10. He says, now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing... With these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. They fall into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. 
It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The antidote to the love of money is contentment. And contentment must be found in trusting God's promise of provision. Do we honestly trust that God will provide what we need? And in trusting that promise, do we have to sacrifice some of the things that we may be desiring? I think the third thing we can learn from this passage is to love the truth. Another way to love and serve those in our lives is to share with them the love that we have for truth. Why do those of you here this morning attend a church service on Sunday morning? Why do you routinely come to church? Is it for community? Is it for relationship? Those are good things. I pray that one of the reasons that you attend is that you have a love for the truth and that you are here seeking a deeper understanding of Scripture and God's wisdom. Is the truth of Scripture attractive to you? It's a genuine question. Do you find the truth that we find within our Bible attractive? Do you pursue it? Are you passionate about it? And more importantly, do you communicate that passion to those around you? Something that I have encountered all too often in my own life, in my own social circle, is that church has become increasingly optional. I have a number of Christian friends, deep believers, deeply rooted believers, that I've known that have attended church with me for decades. Very few of them attend church anymore. They struggle with attending. They may go once a month, and more and more of them are falling into the Christmas and Easter crowd where they go with family when it's warranted. They show up for a baby dedication. But all too often, attending church 50 times a year, ooh, count me out. And I struggle with that. I struggle with the idea that that attending church has become optional because I think it communicates that we no longer have a passion for learning and growing and encountering the word of God. I think a large reason for this, this shift, is that we no longer have a love for the truth. I think that shift has occurred over the last 20 years because it forces us, that love of truth, it forces us to accept biblical teaching in a world that tells us that our opinion is actually equal to Scripture. And that has become a very dangerous proposition. This individualistic society that we now entertain this very affirmative society that we convince ourselves that that we belong to, it teaches us and it reinforces the notion that what I find in Scripture, what I feel about Scripture, I can make a reality. And it has led to a lot of very dangerous teaching. It's something that Paul calls out very clearly within this passage of Scripture. Right? He's talking about do not be misled by unhealthy teaching, because it is not fulfilling. And this love for truth, because it forces us to accept biblical teaching, we avoid it. And when we fail to share our love for truth, when we fail to share our love for scripture, I think it has another side effect. 
When we fail to do that, we fail to encourage those within our biblical community. Within the last week, or I'll be very gracious, within the last two weeks, how many conversations have you had with a fellow Christian communicating something you've learned? How many of you had conversations expressing your passion or your desire for truth or something that God has communicated to you that you feel you need to share with another believer? We don't have a lot of those conversations anymore. Even at church, I find a lot of our conversations can just be around social issues, around our social lives, around our families, and those are wonderful conversations to have. But we are instructed within Scripture to have far more than that. And like I said earlier, I think when we are responding in obedience in Christ, we encourage others to be obedient. And somehow, some way, we have created a culture where it's a little awkward to share something that Christ is teaching us. And I, and I think we need to respond to that. I think we need to take the first step and just engage in those conversations until they're not awkward anymore, until they're just normal and commonplace. And I share this with everyone in the room. It doesn't matter if you're in grade six or if you're in grade 60. We should all... We should all be able to have those conversations with people around us and communicate our love for Scripture. I think another way to read these verses, verses 7 to 9, it might go something like this, paraphrased. Truth leads to grace, and grace leads to strength. I think we need to pursue truth so that we encounter God's grace. And when we encounter God's grace, I think we'll have the strength to share it to those who need it. False teaching leads to false devotion, and false devotion leads to emptiness. A lot of the conversations that I have with believers in my life revolve around this very issue. They find that their faith is empty. They feel as if God is far from them. And the question that I typically begin engaging them in is where are you growing? How are you growing? Because if they're encountering false teaching, it's no wonder they have false devotion. It's no wonder why they only attend church twice a year. It's no wonder that they feel empty within their soul and they feel that God is far from them. I think right teaching will lead to right devotion and that will fill us up. I sincerely believe now more than ever that scripture is very alive for believers and it can instruct us and lead us to the life that God wants for us. And I so sincerely appreciate Paul's devotion to teaching healthy and proper theology because it's not empty. I'm referring to Paul, the writer, and Pastor Paul. One of the reasons why my wife Kayleen and I both very uh, eagerly anticipated joining Bethany is because as we were looking for churches, as we were looking for places to, to come, and we began listening to Paul's teaching, it was very evident that he is simply preaching the basics of Scripture. He's gone back and simply communicated right teaching that leads to right devotion, that leads to God filling our heart. And that is attractive to me attractive to us. So I think we need to love our fellow church member by loving the truth and then telling them about it. 
So go this week and tell someone about the truth that you've encountered. And if you haven't encountered any, I would suggest spending some time in Scripture. Love those outside the church by finding ways to communicate your passion for church and growing in wisdom to them. So often I find when I encounter non-Christians in my life, which I have many non-believers, I know many people that have walked away from the church or have never encountered the church. And finding ways to communicate that I love attending church is such an abstract thought for them. Sometimes it's a difficult concept for them to even wrap their brain around, yet they're curious. They're curious because my excitement about truth spreads to them and encourages their love for the same age-old search for truth. The reason why psychology and philosophy have become so prevalent in our society is because they are all searching for truth. We just keep sending people to the wrong place. We need to be sending people to scripture because we know that's where truth lies. And it's okay to be excited about it. Fourth thing that we can learn from Paul's exhortations. Love Christ. At first, this might sound very simple. Love Christ. Well, obviously, we just went through the Christmas season and at Christmas, right, we celebrate the birth of Christ. We celebrate the plan that God put into place to provide a new way for his creation to come to him and know him. We celebrate that there was now a way back to God for everyone, for Jew and Gentile. We celebrate the arrival of a new kingdom, the kingdom we belong to, and we celebrate that it was now at hand. In a couple months, we'll celebrate the Easter story, the culmination of the Christmas story, We celebrate that Jesus, in his unselfish, extravagant love, died on a cross for us. And while the Christmas story is celebrated as a wonderful, beautiful reminder of God's loving devotion to the world, the Easter story is focused far more on Christ's suffering. And I think if we're honest, we all prefer the Christmas story. Sometimes, if we are to love others our lives will look far more like Easter than Christmas. In verse 12, I want to point out verse 12. Talks about Christ going outside the camp. Going to him outside the camp speaks metaphorically of leaving behind the love of this world and the desires for its approval and embracing the reproach of Christ. Paul is challenging his readers to emulate Jesus and his response to his sufferings. We know Christ suffered. He suffered often and he suffered vastly. And Paul is encouraging all of his readers, when you encounter suffering, because it will happen, how are you going to respond? Respond like Christ. Something that I've always been fascinated with is that Christ very rarely tried to obtain the favor of Jewish leaders in his time. Of course, we have numerous instances of Christ chastising the leaders, attempting to reason with them, responding to their traps and logical questions. And we have instances where Christ even loved them. But we have no records of Christ attempting to make his case within the walls of the temple. 
In fact, the only records that we have of Jesus within the temple was Christ as a child, as his parents left him behind, and he so lovingly chastises his parents for failing to look for him where the father resided. And the second instance is Jesus cleansing the temple of the merchants and moneylenders. I think if we are to love Christ, an aspect of that is going to require us to be outside the walls, to leave the city gate and love others. By loving others, we love Christ because we carry on his mission. We carry on expanding the kingdom, which was his central proclamation and challenge to us. Love me and love others. They are tied together and we cannot separate them, even if we sometimes wish we could. Sometimes if we are to love and serve others, it will require suffering. What does suffering look like in our lives? Well, it may look like a broken heart as we lose friends by sharing the truth with them. It may look like being taken advantage of because we bring someone into our home and they, and they abuse that grace. It may look, it may look like, it may look like us sacrificing our needs, our desires for others. In a world, again, that is so individualistic, in a world that has made it all about us, I, the individual, in a world filled with marketing that affirms that I am the most important thing, it is very countercultural to lay down our needs and desires for those around us. But you know what? That's okay. It's okay to suffer. It's okay to have a broken heart over lost friendships. It's okay to be taken advantage of or being used because you know what? It's not about us. Salvation The kingdom, loving Christ, spreading his love, it's not about us. And loving others, as Christ so very clearly knew, it costs something. There will be a cost to loving others. There's a a cost to loving those inside the church and there's a cost to loving those outside the church. It costs something. Are you ready to pay the price? We're instructed very clearly in this text that we read today to go outside our own four walls, just like Jesus did, and take risks. Loving Christ requires us to leave our comfort zone and live by faith and not by safety. So what is it that Christ has planned for you this year? What would going outside your comfort zone look like? What are you willing to sacrifice to love and serve others? I think Paul, within this book, within Hebrews itself and this last chapter, he demonstrates the meaning and progress of faith by its warnings and its exhortations and by its gallery of examples. It seeks to show what faith is, how faith functions, and what results that it can achieve. I cannot think of a better place to begin evaluating what role our faith will play in our lives in 2023. 
So how do we accomplish these four things? How do we accomplish loving others, being content? Well, I think we can do a couple things that relate to those New Year's resolutions I talked about at the beginning. Just like I needed to set specific goals to reach that Spartan race and finish it, which I was very concerned about, I had to set specific goals. How do you want to grow in your faith this year? Have you given that any thought? How often do we actually sit down and think about, how do I want to grow in my faith? Is there an area where I feel I need to grow or want to grow? What does that look like? Does that look like you being more involved in Christian community? Does that look like attending more biblical study? Does that look like you evangelizing and sharing the truth that you're so passionate about? Or does it look like you evaluating where you need to serve? Set a specific goal. If you have no goal for your faith, you're just growing aimlessly. You may be growing in your faith, but if you don't know how, it's going to be very difficult for you to express that. Two, set goals you're passionate about. There is nothing wrong with setting passionate goals. God has gifted each of you with unique passions and giftings. And putting those things to use and glorifying God through them is a wonderful way to make progress on your specific goals. What are you passionate about? What are you gifted in? How can you use that to accomplish your goal? Three, use your support system. Do you know where your support system is? It's right here. Hundreds of people, all with a singular focus of growing in their relationship with Christ. They're right here in this room. You're surrounded by those who have a common goal. Get to know them. Build relationships. Lean into your Christian community to see those goals come to life. And four, trust God for the small things to turn into big things. The refrain that I most often hear from Christians that, that I encounter is how will God ever use me to make a difference like he did with Paul and the apostles or the, or the characters of the Old Testament, these mythical legends that made massive impacts for God. How can I ever measure up to the examples set in scripture? It's not about that. It's not about you. It's about Christ. We can all make a difference. So set small goals, set realistic goals, and pursue your bigger dreams and watch how God uses you to make a difference. I sincerely believe that 2023 can be an amazing year for Bethany. I think it can be an amazing year for us to bring people into the kingdom, to be passionate about our love of truth, our love of Christ, and to communicate that to a world in need. But we have to be willing to set ourselves aside and pursue Christ first. I would just challenge you, think through what your goals are this year. What is it that Christ is asking of you in 2023 and are you going to be at a place to respond to that? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you this morning and we thank you for the Christmas story. We thank you for the Christmas season and the life 
that you so willingly brought into this world in order to bring about a kingdom that we are a part of. God, for those of us in attendance this morning and for those of us online, God, I just pray that as we evaluate 2023, we will respond to the goals that you would have for us and that we would respond willingly. pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. We hope you found it connected you to the God of truth and love who we worship and serve at Bethany Chapel. If you have any questions or want to connect to any of our pastors, go online to bethanychapel.com and click come. Thanks again and God bless you.